The late Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, shares the following story. As a child, I lived in an area of southern Missouri where electricity was available only in the form of lightning, and we had more of that than we could use. But my, in my senior year of high school, the REA, Rural Electrification Administration, extended its lines into the area where we lived, and electrical power became available to households and farms. When those lines came by our farm, a very different way of living presented itself. Our relationships to the fundamental aspects of life, day and night, hot and cold, clean and dirty, work and leisure, food preparation and preservation, all vastly changed for the better. But a person still had to believe in electricity and take the necessary steps involved with it to rely on it. Think about electricity back then to help us understand Jesus' message about the kingdom of God. The farmers would have heard a message that would have sounded something like this. Repent, for electricity is at hand. Repent, of course, means to turn. Turn from your kerosene lamps. Turn from your lanterns and candles. Turn from your ice boxes and root cellars. Turn from your scrub boards and rug beaters. Turn from your pedal-powered sewing machines and your dry cell battery radios. Turn from your wood cook stoves and your furnaces. Turn to the power that can make your lives better. It is here now. And all you have to do is make a few simple arrangements and you can utilize it. Strangely, Willard says, a few did not accept this available source of power. They did not enter the kingdom of electricity. Some didn't want to change. They liked things the way they were. Others could not afford it, or at least they thought they could not afford it. Well, to be sure, the kingdom of God has been here as long as humans have been on this planet and longer, but it has only been available to mankind since the time of Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the Ephesian Christians who are living in a world-class city of commerce, trade, wealth, excitement, religious uh, opportunities, and opportunities in general. And he's writing this letter to challenge the Ephesians to avail themselves to the power of God for their lives. Now, these people were already followers of Jesus, but they weren't completely living into the power of Christ that was available to them, which leads me now to a very obvious diagnostic question. Have you discovered God's power for your life, his surpassing power. Verse 15 of chapter one in Ephesians says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Now to have faith means to believe. We talked about that last week in, in, our, in our Palm Sunday message when we concentrated on John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. To have faith is to believe in God. Ephesians 2.8 here says, just the next page over, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So these Ephesian Christians here, they have faith in God and they have love for God's people. Verses 16 and 17 continue. 
I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul is praying that these Ephesian Christians would get to know God better in a deeper way, in really a more powerful way. Verses 18 through 20. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for those who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. God's power, Paul says, is measured by the miracle of Christ's resurrection. Now, when you think of that first Easter morning, the resurrection of Jesus, wouldn't it have been something to be with those women when they went to the tomb early on that eventful Sunday morning and encountered those two angels? then to go running back to John and to Peter and have them come running to the tomb. And then John, of course, arrives first. He looks in but doesn't go in. But Peter gets there and, of course, he charges right in and wonders, where did Jesus go? Where is he? And Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels teach us that all these early disciples had mixed emotions. They were excited and confused at the same time. They didn't know what to think about all of this. And one of the Gospels even says that they were afraid. They were terrified. Now, the miracle of Christ's resurrection was absolutely incredible. Acts 2.24 reads, But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. In the account of the crucifixion in John's Gospel, it says in John 19, verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus, the incarnate son of God, dismissed his own spirit. The soldiers didn't have to break his legs, the bones in his legs, to speed up the crucifixion by hastening the suffocation that he was going through. Jesus dismissed his own spirit. And he was then active in raising himself from the dead, putting an end to the agony of death. That's why 1 Corinthians 15, that great chapter that's all about the resurrection of Christ and the future coming resurrection from the dead of all believers in Christ. That's why at the end of it, it says in verse 55, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Jesus defeated sin and he defeated death because of who he is. John eleven twenty five 25 spells it out for us. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Again, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. You know, the inability to see and understand spiritual things is not a matter of intelligence. It's a matter of the heart. Plenty of people have intellectual understandings of God. They can spout off all kinds of biblical and doctrinal truth, but it's only head knowledge. 
It's not heart knowledge. Now, I've told this story on a number of occasions here at Mission Covenant Church, but it's about the father of one of my seminary professors. And the seminary professor I'm referring to was, a, uh, you know, he's passed on now, but he was a world-renowned um, um, church historian named John Woodbridge. And hilarious. Everybody wanted to, to be in his classes. You couldn't get a class from him. In fact, I took my last two church history classes, my last two quarters of seminary, because that was how long it took for me just to be able to get into one of his classes. But he had a father named Charles Woodbridge who studied in Berlin uh, at the Berlin Seminary in the 1930s. And in 1936, he had a class with Adolf Harnack who was just absolutely brilliant. He was so smart, he had the entire New Testament memorized. Try that one. Memorize the whole New Testament in the Greek language. He didn't even bring the Greek New Testament to class. And if students would ask him a question, he could walk up to the chalkboard, write the verse out in Greek. He could parse all the verbs, diagram all the sentences, explain the verse right there for them. And the seminary students would ask him, Dr. Harnack, who is Jesus? And he'd say, oh, Jesus. Jesus was a great man. Jesus was a great teacher. Then Charles Woodbridge went from there to left Nazi Germany to go to Africa to be a missionary. And he encounters a six-year-old African girl, illiterate. She can't even read. And he asks her, who is Jesus? And she says, Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. See, one had intellectual knowledge. The other had heart knowledge. Listen to what Romans 10, 9 and 10 says. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You know, in the Bible, heart is more than one's mind. It includes our emotions and our wills. It's truly the inner part of our being, opened by the Spirit of God that truly believes in God and then lives out that belief every single day. Hope that's described here is living out that faith, that hope, and it's looking forward to the future because of the glorious riches that we have in Christ Jesus. We're heirs of Jesus. In other words, we have tremendous wealth. We have great wealth. And we're also part of a body of believers which helps enrich our lives uh, again, making us even more wealthy. So the apostle is saying here, you were born rich when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. But I think the problem is most of you never check your bank account. You don't even know, the apostle says, how truly wealthy you really are. And verse 19 then begins here and his incomparably great power for us who believe. For us who believe happens to be a participle there. And it isn't written to us here in the original language in the perfect tense. It wasn't given to us that way. Who once believed. You once believed this stuff. And it's not also written for us in the original language in the aorist tense, which means who believed at one point in time. Yeah, there was a point in time that you came to believe this. No, it's given to us here in the present tense. We believe and keep on believing and keep on believing and keep on believing. That's what it's saying. Do you believe like this each and every day? 
Do you believe that God is actively at work in this world? Do you believe that he's actively at work in your life and in your daily circumstances? See, God's incomparably great power is revealed in those who believe and keep on believing. Day in, day out, God can do it. God will do it. God is doing it. And God's resurrection power is for right now. Look at the second half of verse 19 and then verse 20. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. God's resurrection power isn't like any other power. It's not like the power of a strong personality or of an educated mind. It's not like the power of a good family background or the power that comes with having money. It's not like the power that comes with social or racial privilege or, or the power that comes with numbers because there's always power in numbers. When masses gather, there's power in those numbers. It's not like that. It's not the, like the power of leadership abilities. The power that is spoken of here is the power that raised Christ from the dead. The power that can bring life out of death. Chuck Smith, metaphorically speaking, says, resurrection power works best in a cemetery. If you're living in a cemetery where everything in your life is dead, everything is dull, everything is lifeless, he says, try out resurrection power. This is what it's for. It means a power that takes no notice of obstacles. See, Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he paid no attention to the huge stone that was rolled across the front of the, t of the tomb. He paid no attention to these highly trained soldiers on the outside who were guarding the tomb so that no one could come and steal the body. He paid no attention to the decrees of Caesar or the fulminations of any of the Jewish priests. And he certainly paid no attention to the massive crowds which were the world's first cancel culture. Because you know what they did? They wanted to cancel Jesus. Crucify him, crucify him. He paid no attention to those things. You see, resurrection power doesn't focus on obstacles. It moves forward, leaving the problems to God. Resurrection power requires no outside support. It doesn't rely on someone else or something else. It doesn't need a consensus expression of support from those in authority. When necessary, it can operate alone. It also has a desire, no desire to draw attention to itself. It can work quietly and it can go forward with a group of people or it can move forward all on its own. Resurrection power is all about bringing life out of death because it's God's power measured by the miracle of Christ's resurrection. So I ask you again today, have you discovered the, this power for your life? this surpassing power of God. God's resurrection power. It's for right here. It's for right now. That's what God's word is telling us. You know, when Cindy and I began ministry here three plus decades ago, we encountered a man who was basically homeless. He was uh, in trouble with authorities. He was without reliable transportation. He was bouncing from job to job and laid off and, and he frequented the bars 
He slept around. His life was a mess. And we discovered very early on there that this person had committed their life to Christ in their youth, but then when they got into their young adult years and going through their 20s, they wandered away from Christ. And, uh, and their life, his life was a mess. Now, the person's net worth at the time was basically that, zero. This person was heading nowhere fast. Well, this individual went on to rededicate their life to the Lord began reading their Bible every single day, returned to church, married a wonderful Christian gal, uh, ended up having a number of uh, delightful children, raised them up in the Lord, uh, who are college educated right now, living debt free. This man cleaned up his act. He worked very hard, he pinched his pennies. He invested well, even though he wasn't very well educated, he invested well. And he was generous toward others, in fact, to a fault, because uh, I came to understand that some people uh, took advantage of this person. And he ended up living his life completely debt-free. Well, Cindy and I ran into him recently and were shocked to discover that this man today is a millionaire. And that's not some American success story that I'm telling you today. And this isn't a health and wealth gospel story that I'm telling you today. It's a resurrection power story. An account of God bringing life where there was death. Three decades later, a completely different trajectory. We're trying to minister to this guy whose life is going like this. And he returns to the Lord and his life does this. You know, we believe very strongly here at Mission Covenant Church in God's resurrection power, that it's for today. In fact, we believe it's for right now. And as a church, we're gonna be tackling a very tough subject coming up that's in our culture in the next coming months. Following this six-week sermon series that I've just uh, introduced to you today in our announcement time, The Perfect Father, we are then going to offer a sermon series on race called Courageous Christianity. And in this cancel culture that's chucked full of political correctness and shout downs and biases, we believe that God's resurrection power can bring about healing. You see, one of the casualties of all of the social tensions surrounding race in our society right now is the truth. That's the casualty is the truth. And so many things are presented from one side or the other with no regard whatsoever for the truth. So we're gonna study what the Bible has to say about race, about ethnicity, about justice, and how through the power of the resurrection, we can actually be bridge builders. Now, just a little tease for you right now to whet your appetite and pique your curiosity. We hear the term social justice thrown around all the time as if that were a biblical term or as if that were a Christian phrase. But it is, as one African Zambian pastor says, I don't think that term means what you think it means. The Bible has a lot to say about justice. There's justice and injustice, with the latter being sin. Things are either just or they are unjust. But you know, the Bible never uses the term social justice. In fact, biblically, justice can have prefixes, but you know something? It doesn't have an adjective. It doesn't have the adjective social tied to it. It's either just, the Bible says, 
or it is sin. And the Bible has a lot to say about equality. It has a lot to say about equal opportunity. Social justice, on the other hand, is all about equity. And equity in every aspect of life, which includes all the sexual fluidity that's out there. Everything and issue related to gender. Everything related to wealth and class and money. And, of course, ethnicity. Our theme verse for this series is Colossians 2 verse 8. Listen carefully to it. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. It takes courage as Christians to address such issues that are being passed on to us by our culture. And we want to be biblically just people. We want to promote justice everywhere we go. We want biblically to be bridge builders. And part of what we're going to be doing in this sermon series is we're going to have a discussion every single Sunday evening at 6.30 p.m. in the church's fellowship hall facilitated by Pastor Zach Crosby called Righteous Rabbit Trails. And the theme verse for this weekly gathering is found in Psalm 119, verses one, verse 169. O Lord, listen to my cry. Give me the discerning mind you promised. Pastor Zach, our elder board chair, says, we will have the opportunity to respond to the sermon from the morning, discuss current events in light of our faith, and led by the Spirit moving you to offer your questions. And given the sensitive nature of the subject matter, Pastor Zach says, there will be some basic rules for participating. First, we all must agree that we are seeking God's will and wisdom and that the Bible is the primary source of God's communication with us. Second, we must agree to love and respect each other even if we disagree. And Pastor Zach writes, I am eager to probe the depths of God's wisdom and love with you. And I hope to see you beginning Sunday evening, May 23rd, 2021 at 6.30 p.m. in the Church Fellowship Hall. Now please know that we are moving forward in this effort because we believe here at Mission Covenant Church in resurrection power. That as bad as things look in our culture right now, that God can bring life out of death because of his unsurpassing power. And our hope and our prayer today is that you are experiencing that power in your life right now. I pray that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you have, he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name, you can say every phrase if you want to, that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet 
and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Would you please pray with me? God, our Father, on this glorious day in the church where we are celebrating with the church worldwide the resurrected Christ, the one who conquered sin and conquered death. Lord, we come recognizing that there's a message here that you want us to grasp, that you are the one who brings life out of death, and you have given that same power to your church in this world. God, so many times we're intimidated by the world around us. So many times we get caught up in fears and anxieties and fretting over what's going to happen when you're reminding us here on Resurrection Sunday of the surpassing power that the church possesses and that we can move forward in that power. And God, I pray that we will all do that in our individual respective lives and that we'll each do that as well uh, as a church as we gather together to face and address serious, very serious issues in our culture right now. And God, if there's anybody here today or anybody listening online that has not accepted Christ as their Savior, that they would, in their heart right now, come to believe in you, recognizing that you are the one who sets people free from their sins and gives this kind of power and this kind of life that can give victory not only over sin and death, but victory over everything in our lives that holds us back. To your honor and glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.